we're in church, by the way, and changes uh, and transitions. I get the job today of just kind of bringing that series into land. And um, what I love that I quote from someone in the church, Ali just said, on the way in, she said, I found this series so useful in helping the people I work with understand change. That is how God's work works. It's not something that you're given to go, this is just for you. It is for you. But when you share, when you break bread of the word of God, it has an incredible transformative effect in community. Try it. You will see a blessing flow through you because you understand, by the way, what is happening. The word of God is for there to build and breathe into you so that you can share life over community. And so the changes are, we are watching Hannah and Gareth and Claire um, both respond to the call of God in their life. Um, they're they're going to go, right, we're just pursuing God into other areas. Because did you know that God works outside of Exeter? Because <laughs> Richard's said, good, because I live in Tiverton, isn't it? You know, has God got a plan for Tiverton? Of course he has. And obviously God has his people everywhere. And it's his role, it is his authority, sovereignty to move the right people into the right places for the right times and the right seasons. And this is exciting. But then you're thinking, so we're, we're losing, right? You never lose with God. Because just as much as one door opens to somebody else, there's another door open on the other side where people are coming into their gifting. And we've ran a recruitment campaign for two key roles in the life of the church. One of those is to come in and serve me and Rachel and the church as assistant pastors. Uh, and the other role is to come in and help with our, we've got a youth pastors post. Now, I just have to tell you, applications went out. We had applicants come in. We processed them. We have all sorts of clever, cool stuff called a matrix uh, that we do. We, we analyze that. And those who who we feel there's something in, we then explore more by the context of an interview. That interview has taken place already uh, for both candidates. And uh, we've come to a decision, and actually, on the, we met as a board and just said, are we all happy with the whole process and the selection? Just to kind of put you on the edge of a teaser, next week we are going to unveil... <laughs> Who that is, isn't it? You were just getting ready there, isn't it? You know, so there you go. Just to keep you in the loop of that. Thank you very much for your prayers, for your guidance, for your questions, for your wisdom. It is really valuable and helpful during processes like this. And um, have you seen the Red Arrows maneuver when two planes almost crisscross in the sky and draw that picture of an X? We've got that in the church right now, you know, where there's people coming in and there's people going. And the intersect, you know, is incredible moment. And, you know, when I sat, I went home from the board meeting, I'm like, isn't it incredible? Because I, I know the result, by the way, just in case. I'm doing a Simon Cowell. But I, I know, and I'm like, this is incredible for us as a church. So uh, just kind of be aware. Wait, you know. If you're on church suite, uh, by the way, you're going to get to know first. If you're not on church suite, by the way, get logged in this week. Because, uh, you know, there's the spoiler. Uh, you'll get access to that, and we're going to unveil that next. It's going to be really, really exciting as well. Um, just this launch where I want to go today. Who remembers their dad's favorite music? Or their mum's? Yeah, yeah, just because uh, uh, like my dad, right? My mum and my dad had different music tastes. Okay, my dad loved music, and my mum didn't. So it was kind of that whole thing. It, my mum was like uber Christian, uh, and my dad was a bit more edgy, you know. And uh, the reason he was edgy, by the way, because before he knew Jesus, he he was part of a rock band. He was. And uh, in fact, he got, so, he got saved just on the, on the cusp of his band about to hit the, the main stage, you know, and go into that kind of celebrity of then back in the 60s uh, of, of that. And uh, I remember when he got saved, the evangelist who brought my dad to Jesus. My dad was a, a, a paper boy. And this, he, he, he kind of delivered papers to an evangelist, right? Uh, and this, this man who just kind of used to receive a paper had a vision, whoever he met, to share the gospel of Jesus. And if he hadn't have done that, you know, I wouldn't be here. 
There is no doubt about it. My dad was my leading light in my faith journey to God in guiding me to this incredible great news of Jesus that I now embrace and live for. And it all came down because somebody received a paper and he saw the plans of God in his life. And this evangelist recruited my dad to join his missionary campaign around the area of Nottingham. He bought this bus he put a coffee bar in the bus, right? This is way ahead of its time. And because my dad was a drummer, right, the av- I saw the advertiser's slogans. He used to run a print shop, this evangelist, in his garden, right? A bit weird. But, and he used to do these little pamphlets. And, and it was like, come and hear the great news of Jesus with Dave on drums. <laughs> it's, it's cool, isn't it? They used to hire nightclubs in the city. And go and put on essentially Christian rock bands in order to carry the great news of Jesus, you know. And, and I, I, my dad used to have this, found it when he passed away in the loft. He'd have this box of gel lights. He'd go in and he'd cover lights to make it blue or red. Because that, that brought the anointing down for... <laughs> So, you know, Dad had endorsed the lights that we got today. But I, I reason his music stab because I'd often come home from work. My dad was a postman, part-time pastor uh, in his salvation. And so by the time I got home from school, he would be there. Uh, Mum was out working. And so and he, I knew Dad was in because the music, Barry Maguire, would be blaring through. And uh, he loved Elvis as well. Everybody like Elvis? So I'm just going to play a, a song in the background, uh, just one of Elvis's uh, famous songs. And um, there we go. Who likes this style of music, by the way? I'm sorry. If, oh, you are? We've we'll, got we'll some Elvis fans. It's great, isn't it? Mighty James, you like every style of music, don't you? So I want to tell you the story behind the song. By the way, there's loads of stories uh, behind songs, and this one carries the stories of Jesus, by the way, this song. So the guy who writes it is someone called Stuart Hamlin. He is a radio DJ, comedian, entertainer, singer who's kind of popular and hits celebrity things like that. But he's also a drunk and he's a womanizer. And in his town where he's kind of doing all of these things on the radio, a, a well-known preacher, a young preacher, comes through his town with a tent crusade. And so he's anti-God in his position and he invites this guest, this preacher, onto his radio show to poke fun at him. He ends up going to one of the tent crusades and during that this young preacher gets up and he says, there is a man in here who's a fake. Now, the preacher probably didn't know he was talking to. He was probably just talking to the preacher. But it stuck with Stuart Hamlin. He went home. He could not get away from the word of God in his life that said, you're a fake. He goes and he knocks on the hotel room door of this young preacher. He said, God is challenging me so much. I need to put my life right. My, I, everything I'm doing is not filling the gap in my life. I need to get help. Will you just help me with this? This is what the preacher says. No. He says, I'm not going to get in the way of you and God. You go and sort it out. He walks away. He falls on his knees. He gives his life to Jesus. He's so transformed by the great news of Jesus Christ. That actually, he, he suddenly, his face, his lifestyle changes. No one goes out drinking. No one goes out womanizing. Even when the local beer company wants to sponsor his radio show, he says, no, because I've changed. And so actually, his career goes, starts to dive. And his friend, a good friend he had called John, comes up to him and starts to talk to him about, you know, is your life better off now that you have God? What about going back? to where you were to get that success of which you feel that you've lost. You liked your booze. Don't you miss it? Stuart says, no. John says, I don't understand. How could you give it up so easily? His response was this. It's no big secret. 
but all things are possible with God. His friend John said, well, that's a catchy phrase. Why don't you write a song about it? This is a song. It's no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he can do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. Elvis took this on. This is what he's singing. Willie Nelson took this on and sang this song, which carries the gospel message that God transformed the human life. And so what I want to do today, by the way, is finish this series not on how to help you face change, to understand that God is about to do the greatest transformation in your life. Because that is God's business. God is a transforming God. God brings change into our life. Whatever you're addicted to, whatever is destroying your life, whatever you're struggling with in a health capacity, God is bigger and stronger than your bones. God is stronger than any doctor's diagnosis over your life. God has this capacity to transform the human soul. It is the greatest transformation ever. Today I want to walk through why that is from the Bible because it really, I want to help you with the fact that God is a transforming God. Because when you get this, it will transform your faith. So you got your Bibles? Yes? Turn to Genesis. Kind of when Josh said earlier, so I went to Genesis. I'm like, has he been reading my notes on the cheat? But let's start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. First and foremost is God transforms the world. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, it was empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and without void. You translate that phrase as, the earth was a desert. The earth was desolate. The earth was a wilderness. The earth was bland. The earth was dark. And then God came and the Spirit hovered among the waters, okay? You understand the Spirit of God hovered. And, it, and that hovered is just simply like an eagle would flutter over. God is rest over in the void and the darkness and what's desolate and the wilderness of what we know is the earth right now. That's what it was before creation. And then you read... The next bit of creation. Without God, the earth is a desert. Without God, the earth is worthless. It is confusing. It is an empty place. The application is, without God in our lives, our minds are a desert. Our souls are dark. Our lives are empty, without form, without void. There's no substance to it. You know, and I want you to understand this because I'm just going to grow that process through your thoughts today because the moment God enters our world, your world, your mind, your heart, your soul, your body, there is life that comes alive. Sin is darkness. Sin is desolate. Sin is a wilderness. Sin isolates you. Sin abandons you. You know, this whole concept of fun is just a cover to get you as ingrained in, in rebelling against God. And our nature wants to do that, and it leaves us in darkness. But when God walks into the darkness, creation, and God said, let there. First thing, what did he say? Let there be what? Light. If you know God in your life, the first prayer that you make, God, invite me into my soul, into my life, you will know Light. Instantly into the darkness, light comes. He speaks light over this earth. He creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, both lights to guide us 
to bring comfort. Even in the darkness, the light shines. God does that. He creates the trees. He separates the waters. Everything you see in the context of creation, I want to tell you, it's about God bringing shape to something. God bringing color to something. God bringing light to something. It is in his nature. I'm just going to show you a picture. It's just one of these intricate kind of pictures of creation, if I can, you know, because I, I, I kind of came through um, studying biology. That, that's kind of my first uh, job, really, was a biologist, and then I became a police officer, and now I'm a, I'm a pastor, which is a bad joke I do get. But you, you understand, I, I, I get the beauty of creation. You stand on the top of a mountain, you look at the panoramic views. I've stood on Mount Snowden, you know, on, on a day when there was no wind. Way away from any noise pollution. And I just heard silence. It's incredibly powerful when you actually hear silence. There was no wind moving. There was no wind blowing across my ear. And it was just silence. And I found God in the silence. I don't know if you like walking around waterways. I find God in his creation. If you like walking through the forest, you know, if, if you ever see animals in their natural habitat, there's something about the planet that's incredibly beautiful. And it doesn't matter how much you zoom in. You know, all of our scientific, by the way, this God and science kind of thing drives me nuts, isn't it? You know, science is just a study of God. You, you need to understand that, but just doesn't believe in God. It's kind of ironic. And that's why God laughs at his enemies, by the way, because it is ironic, isn't it? You know, people are looking at what God has made. There's God in the whole of creation and the detail and the color, right? We've been told that creativity is just these floaty hippie types. There's a lad who came to young adults who was describing his parents. I hope they're not in church today. But he said they were the hippie types. He said, well, I don't like to call them hippie. He said, I like to call them Prosecco socialists. <laughs> Which made me laugh. And, uh, you know, but it's just that, that concept. You know, of that, we think creative is just a person who just wears mixed weave fabrics you know, and puts braids in their hair and just goes dancing around. Creativity is not that. You look at the earth, that is creativity. Right? I... I understand what goes on in a gecko's foot. Geckos are those little lizards that run around your hotel rooms in foreign climates that just stick to the ceiling. And you ever wondered how? Scientists used to think they had these little hooks on there that just kind of hooked in. It's actually electromagnetic forces that engages with the surface in which it's touching to cause a magnetic effect. You know, who designed that? My God did. You're just showing off God. It's not showing off, actually. You know what creation is? When God is showing off, he's showing you him. That, that is the whole thing. God is a transformed. Bear in mind, without form, without void, the nothing in the darkness, God starts to bring his light and his creativity and his genius. And so when I look at the concept of science, I think, wow, I'm a new earth person, which means I believe God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Why? Because God can. And unless you give me really stock evidence to say he needed a thousand years to work on it per each day, I don't get that. I just think, wow, bang, there it is. That's me. You might be different. You might need to think that God needs a process to do things. to go, mm. But I think God's really intentional. I think God spoke and it came into being. The power of the words of God are amazing. God transforms. Conservationist John Muir said this. Every hidden cell is throbbing with music and life. Every fiber is thrilling like harp strings. While incense is ever flowing from the... Balsam bells and leaves. No wonder the hills and groves were God's first temple. I love that. Who feels closer to God in nature? Why? Because God has revealed himself in nature. And I want you to look, when you look at nature, it wasn't always there. God created it. God put it there on the backdrop of void, of nothingness. 
of blackness, of darkness, of desolate, of wilderness. That is God's specialness. Let, let me tell you what man has done with God's creation. Right? Just let me show you a few pictures. Okay? Deforestation. Two images there. Why would we burn the garden of God? Money. No other reason. Money. Capitalism without God is wrong. It says that we can do this. Industrialization, the pollution of what we breathe, it's invisible, we can't see it, but the particles. Is it any wonder on our planet that cancers are on the increase? We can say this is of the devil, or we can say, actually, we sometimes don't know. We can push the envelope in medical science as far as we push, and it never happens to you. Next picture. Chennai Beach. Plastics. You know the stuff they put in shampoo bottles now, these plastic beads that don't get dissolved, that go into the ocean, that are killing our wildlife, just so that we can get a better clean of hair? Can, can, I, can I speak to you, not because I'm the greatest eco-warrior on the planet, but can I just say this is our wisdom? This is our man's wisdom. This is what we think, and this is what we're clever. We don't realize we get better hair products, but we get a worse world. You, you understand what, what sin does in our life, in, in when we back ourselves, when we back our own knowledge, it takes us back into the darkness. It takes us back into the wilderness. It's no true in our relationships. You get to the point going, I know best in my relationship. You will do what I say. You're just degrading your relationship. You're taking it into a dark place. And I always say this, without God, I'm the worst version of myself. But with God, I'm pretty special. Not because I've got tags on myself. Not because of pride, because God created me to be special. So are you. Number one, can God change the world? Let me tell you, he already has. When you pray, you are praying to a, a world-changing God who can move. Redemption, by the way, it's a biblical word. It means return to original design. Salvation means he's saved us from the darkness and the void and the desolation and taken us back to the garden. Your relationship with God might be dark. It might be desolate. It might not be there. It might be non-existence. In a moment, today, right now, God's transforming power can come and hit you where you are, and suddenly you can walk out of there going, wow. If you're an introvert, you'll just go. I'm joking. You understand? This is not an external thing. This is an internal that God does in our life. God has already transformed our world. The Westminster Shorter Catechesis says this, what is the chief end of man? A man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You look at your life, where is God in your life? Do you want a garden or do you want a wilderness? I can tell you this, but God in your life, your garden is going to flourish. It's going to be green. The creativity of God is going to come. Our second point is not only that God transforms the world, he calls us to transform our world. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the ultimate creation. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. God shaped you. He formed you. He molded you. Just as much as we can look at creation as the handiwork of God, the Bible says you are God's masterpiece. He molded you. There are so many voices telling you that you're not, and you should be this, and you should do better, but God looks at you and says, I created you. 
There is a pinnacle to the creation of God in human form because God said, let us make man in our image. You are made in the image of God to feel things. You can take your shoes off. You can take your socks off. You can put your feet on the garden of God and there's something about that that feels closer to God. Is that not true? You're designed to feel the resonance of God's presence in his universe. You are so special. And Genesis 2 verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work for it and to take care. Here is a purpose, your second purpose. One is to glory for God, verse 1. The second purpose is to work and to take care of it. What is it? The world. The planet, your world. So just the Hebrew to to serve and take care is this, protect and serve. Your job, your paid job is to serve and protect the planet. What a job that is. How many of you are going to get up tomorrow morning and go, my job is to serve and protect the planet. It doesn't matter whether you're retired. Your job when you get up in the morning is to serve and protect the planet because God has put that in your DNA. You're a civic engineer. If you go in and look at anything, I'm going to build this structure. I'm going to build something that serves and protects this planet. George Washington Carver, he's a great botanist and chemist. He used his skill and curiosity to help poor people in the South, especially African Americans, and to have more food. He worked on ways to grow and use the peanut by the way, which is a nutritional powerhouse. I love that phrase of a peanut, by the way, so when you're having a bag of nuts, by the way, to solve malnutrition. And he found uses for peanut products in order to revive both the economy and soil depleted by the exclusive growing of cotton. He described his work in this way. As I worked on projects which fulfilled a real human need, forces were working through me which amazed me. I would go to sleep with an apparently insoluble problem. And when I woke, the answer was there. Why then should we believe in Christ be so surprised at what God can do with a willing man in a laboratory? I love that. We think worship is a song. Worship is your work to serve and protect the planet. Are you making this world a better place? Are you walking into whatever environment and you go, my role, my core, my mission, my mandate is to protect this planet because I care for it, because it carries the fingerprint, the DNA of God. This is why I get up in the morning. I was brought up in a church that this is the only place you could serve God, isn't it? You stand up on a stage, that's the only place. We have missed that. We are a priesthood of all believers to represent our loving Heavenly Father. says, I created this planet. You can make a difference. Christians, you carry in the science lab. You're not a geek. You are a genius. Because you've got something inside of you. And how, how better to live our life? To serve God. To take our normal work and say, God, I hope what I do today will make an impact down the chain in somebody's life. We are called to transform our world. The Bible has this tale of two cities, by the way, going through it. The city of Babylon and the city of Jerusalem. I want to tell you that God's interested in cities. Babylon basically is a city without God. 
Jerusalem is a city with God. You need to understand the difference between the two because our role is, is to build the city with God in the middle of it. We represent Christians all over this, every city, every town, every village, every hamlet in this area. We, our vision should be, we should have a vision to say, I'm going to bring God into the place where I am. Because there it goes. The place where you are might feel like a wilderness. It might feel like it's a dark place. It might feel like it's hard. It might feel like it's a void. But your role as a created follower of Jesus Christ is to bring form to it, to bring green to bring color, to bring life, to bring light, you know, and you have something that people do not have. The Spirit of God that hovered, hovered across the waters hovers over you. It lives inside of you. You have this, I can do this. Did you know you have the ability to think better when you know Jesus? Why? Because you understand more about what is going on. You're not so preoccupied with self. Self deconstructs your thinking. God elevates your thinking. That breathing, right? That breathing. It's just breathing, right? Just go. Right? I'm not just breathing naturally air. Right? Not, God created the air in the first place. God gave me that ability. There's some things that happen when you take oxygen into your body. You know, you suddenly perform better. You'll see athletes, you know, filling themselves with the oxygen, the life that we need. Imagine if we filled ourselves with God. God, fill me with your glory. Fill me with that creative power that changed the world by the power of your word. Give me that ability. Deposit in me so that I might change my world. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who are sent from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live. Plant gardens and eat produce. I like that. There's a message here. Whatever you do, build houses and live in the place that God is. Seek produce, be productive in your life, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on his behalf, here's the key, for its welfare, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Tomorrow morning, I want you to get up wherever you go to work, and I want you to say, God, I'm going to pray for the welfare of the company I represent. I want to pray for the CEOs, for the directors, for the board members for the HR staff. I want to pray for the function and the divine purpose of this company. Did you know you can pray that that company aligns itself to the purposes of God because companies that do that will be blessed. Blessing and easy are two different things, by the way. You can serve a cup of coffee in a, in a, in a coffee shop and, and you can pray that God's blessing on the person that you're serving. What an honor that is. To make somebody a coffee. I love coffee. I will be honored for you to make me a coffee at any point in your life. It's an honor to serve our community. We need to grab a city vision. All the churches today, we're meeting all over the city, need to grab the same city vision. We need to work together, not to have great meetings, not to come in every Sunday and hide ourselves and huddle away. But God says, I want to send you out into the world to make the difference, to carry the creative God, to bring transformation. That's the ultimate transformation. Anybody say Amen. What if we realized that? What if we all did that? What if all Christians worked together? What if we prayed every day for this city, for the town to be transformed? What if, what if we prayed for the legend industry? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you seriously, I've got a Bible me at the moment, it's called Praying for Your City, and, and the, one of the days I was in was called Praying for Rest. That day, I wandered around, and I saw people running, cycling, walking, 
personal fitness instructor, saw the leisure centers. And I realized something, by the way. God has designed rest. You know rest is good for our city. We can't rest seven days. We understand that. But we need to rest. God says you need to rest at least once a week in your life. It is good for your soul. So I should pray for people who are running leisure. If you go to the gym, God, thank you that somebody put a gym that I can afford on my doorstep. (laughs) If you're swimming, it's called liquid rest. You can't breathe underwater, by the way. Don't try that. You just get under the water. The sound disappears. It's peaceful. It's tranquil. Me and Rachel went paddleboarding this week just to give it a go. We loved it. It was such a nice day, I just kind of lay on the paddleboard and just went, just let the river take me downstream over the weir. No. <laughs> the arts. You should love the arts. You should love that God stirs the artists in this city to tell the story of God through that artistic. Any artists in the room? Come on, bring it out. Any more artists? There's more than one. Bring out your artistic flow. Architects. I'm creating something in, in, in the image of God. I want to do what I do for God. Care services, doctors, nurses, auxiliaries, social workers, carers, counselors, therapists, governance, politicians. That's why we should pray for the police, civil servants, the judiciary, criminals. You ever, you ever tried praying for criminals? We all say, God, keep the crime down because my house price goes up and my insurance goes down. What a capitalist way of praying, by the way, isn't it? Just, how about, God, I, I just pray for whoever's peddling the drugs in this area, that your transformation would just enter their room. And you, there's a report came out recently um, that the reason there's so much mental health, there's, there's a, there's a ha- ha- massive connection to those who brought up in abusive upbringings through drugs and violence that's now we're seeing the generation present, you know, 20 years ago, you know, and, and if you look at some of all the challenges in schools and children, and there, there is, there's a link to that. Like, it shouldn't surprise us if what we understand about the Bible. Go back to the wilderness, go back to the darkness, but God, what does God do? He speaks life into the darkness. We need to understand and think differently, marginalize the traffic, the addicts, the mental health, the lonely, the refugees, extremism. You watch Twitter, there's now extremism in politics all the time. It's the far right, it's the far left. Interesting, you know, really the militant left as much as the militant right is being talked about. We're talking Islamophobia, isn't it? You know, we're talking anti-Semitism. You know, you understand all of this. Everybody's polarizing to the corners, right? We, we are far more enlightened as a society than we've ever been, and yet we're more fighting more. Enlightenment is not bringing us together, is it? It's driving us apart. Why? Because we're living in a wilderness without God. Because what does God do for relationships? He brings you together. The vulnerable in extremism. Those who mentor, those who advise, and those who recruit the influencers, we should pray for them. Imagine if an influencer... The radical extremism got saved. Can we believe for that in our city, in our towns and villages? I do not believe it just happens in London. That is a fallacy of comfort. It happens all around us. Justice, the rights and wrongs, the service injuries. You know, I've noticed this. When you start to pray in this area, you become concerned for that area. When you don't pray, you become desensitized. You want to pray, you know what's going to happen to you. You're going to come close to that issue. 
your eyes will suddenly start to see. And that is, that is where God has called you. I want you to notice the needs of our city. I want you to notice what he's got doing because I want to bring a transformation. I want to finish with this. This is my, my last point. Who's unbanned? Joe, come on, Joe. Can you turn in your Bibles if you can to John chapter 5? I want to tell you this because the transformation of the human soul, the human heart, is the greatest transformation. And this is where it starts. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, they're really stories of people who Jesus transformed. So I want us to move, not just from the God who created and transformed the world into that vision of you need to carry my image and transform in your world. But understand this, before you do that, I want to transform you. This is a story of someone who Jesus transformed. Verse five, chapter 5 of John, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda, five covered porches, crowds of sick people. They were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed. They lay on the porches. One of the men was lying there. He had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the man said. I have no one put me into the pool. And when the water bubbles, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat. He began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Part two of the story. There was a religious tradition that believed an angel came down to the waters and whenever the water stood, the first person into the water got healed. And so as a result, all the sick people of that community gathered around this this water in hoping to be transformed. Hoping to have a divine moment. And I don't know whether this man had been sat there for 38 years. It doesn't say. But let's just say all of the people are hanging around waiting to be transformed. Let me ask you a question. Have you come here to be comfortable or have you come here to be transformed? I don't don't know. Sometimes let's just imagine that pool of water is church. Let's just imagine that. Okay, first one in gets the blessing. First in wins. I wonder if we think that about church, that if you get nearer to the front, there's a greater anointing. I mean, look at Hannah. She is so blessed, isn't she? She's beautiful. She stands there. She, I'm not mocking you, by the way, just in case you're thinking, oh, you, you, you really do carry the presence and the anointing of God. We, we know that in you. But the way sometimes people look at you, you go, she's got it all together. She is perfect. She's a saint. She looks like Mary, the mother of Jesus. <laughs> but the, the reason I'm doing this is because sometimes we look at everybody else and go, they're in first. And now I have to wait for the pool, for the angel to come down again. And some of us have been waiting for 38 years to be transformed. Thinking that somebody else gets it first. Let me tell you, somebody else gets it first is religion. It is not Jesus. Jesus does not wait for you to be qualified before he'll bless you. 
Church is not a university by which you just sit here and one day you're going to get your graduation and then you're going to stand up here and you're going to stand with a certificate and play the guitar and do all of that. that that's not graduation. I love this story because this man sat there and suddenly Jesus walks up to him and says, are you comfortable or do you want to get healed? Part of it is going, right? If you're, if you're natural, that's a stupid question. I'm not saying Jesus is stupid. You understand? And he's probably looking seriously and coming every day. How many of you have come loads in church and never got a touch from God? Somehow, right? Why is that, sir? I've been waiting for someone to pick me up and carry me to the pool so I can bless. I haven't got anybody to carry. I, I can't do this. Do you understand? If only this happened in my life, then I would get a touch from God. If only this hadn't happened, if only I could get there. And some of us come into church thinking everybody else is getting the blessing and I'm not. And we forgot that actually Jesus has just wandered in and said, are you comfortable or you want to be transformed? That's the question. Because I've been on this journey with Jesus for, let's just over 30 years. I don't get anywhere near the blessing than you do. Because this is Jesus. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Jesus. Oh, you want to be comfortable or do you want to be transformed today? Thirty-eight years. I want to be transformed. Transformation only comes through Jesus Christ. And this is where Jesus is, right? He doesn't wander on the platform. He just comes and sits next to you. Doesn't matter about everybody else, because that's religion, isn't it? All it takes is the question, what's your response to the question? Comfortable transformation? Because there's something in my spirit, if I'm saying, if you created the heavens and the earth, spoke the creative and then transformed from without form the darkness, then Jesus, you can transform my life. Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat, and walked. Jesus transformed that man that day. This is all I've got this morning is Jesus. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. The disciples learned when they saw Jesus. Silver and gold have I? No, no, I I, I ain't got the money to help you in it as he looked at a beggar. What I have got, I will give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to ask the question yourself. Have you come here to be comfortable or have you come here to be transformed? So if your answer is I'm just comfortable, that's okay. Just stay comfortable. There's no requirement. That's, that's great. If you want to be transformed, I'm going to ask you to do something. Personally, I just want you to make a decision. Just saying, I want to stand before God. I want to stand next to Jesus and be transformed by him. If anybody want to do that, just stand to your feet right now because I'm going to pray for you. Whatever the issue is, whatever the reason, this is between you and God. I'm not going to get in the way of you and him. Some of you are looking at physical pain. I need a transformation physically, God. Some of you are looking at relationally. 
I want to be transformed. You might just think the biggest fire, and Jesus said, what do you want? Do you want to be comfortable in your fire, or do you want to be transformed by my glory? Just put your hands out before God, just as an act of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, say in your heart, dear Lord Jesus, I want to be transformed by you. Fill me with grace, your love. Fill me with the spirit of life, that creative power of God that transforms the whole universe. I want to walk out different. Let Holy Spirit just rest on you. Let him hover across you. So you connect with God in words that are just personal to you.